morning. Well, good morning, Lake Forest. So good to be together and fun to see y'all greet each other with such joy. I'm Holly Worsley. I'm one of the elders here at Lake Forest, and I have the joy of bringing the message on joy this morning. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right in. Oh, Father, the truth is that we know that this time of year finds many people in a place of complete absence of joy. And so I pray especially for my friends that walked in this morning and they barely got here and they do not feel joy. God, would you speak to their hearts um, and encourage them and teach them of who you are? And those of us that walked in doing pretty well, would you just strengthen us? Would you speak individually into our hearts and stories and minds and hearts this morning, Lord? Teach us from your word. We ask and pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, tis the season, right? And I'm not talking about Christmas cards or lights or presents or even Jesus for just a second. I'm talking about that everybody in this room, at some point in your life, I'm guessing, and maybe even this season, has done something at Christmas time because that's the way we've always done it. Anybody? Anybody? Right? I see a hand going up in the back, Mr. Matt. Yes. Okay, I heard the worst story of this that I've heard in a long time this past week. My friend says to me, think of me tonight. I'm like, huh, I'll be playing Christmas bingo. I said, what? I said, no, I need to know this story. I need to know this story. And she said, well, two generations ago, my husband's great-grandparents couldn't afford to buy Christmas presents for their 10 grandchildren. So they said, we're going to go get 10 Christmas presents from the dollar store, and we're going to make this really fun thing where we play Christmas bingo, and it's going to be awesome. And it was two generations ago. But now those 10 kids represent over 100 people that still get together to play Christmas bingo. And now, and now, every person is supposed to bring seven presents from the dollar store, every person, people, and they line them up on the table, and you don't stop playing bingo when you win. You stop playing bingo when all the prizes are gone. So it, she says it literally takes them sometimes three or four hours of Christmas bingo. You can't get that time back, people. You cannot get that part of your life back that you have just given over to Christmas bingo. And if you were to ask great Aunt Bertha, who is now in charge of Christmas bingo, that is truly her name, why are we doing this? She will say to you, because that's the way we've always done it, right? So heaven forbid you grow up or have a family or change anything. That could be a mistake we could make at Christmas too, right? We could do church we could do Jesus, we could do this time of year completely absent of our souls. We could totally miss engaging our souls. We could totally miss saying, how is my soul? See, followers of Christ have long understood that that first Christmas, Christ came to fulfill our deepest soul longings. He, he came to, in the very depths of who we are, he came to fulfill and to provide what we cannot give ourselves, such as hope, peace, joy, 
and real love. Of course, we all live in the reality that our world is desperately short of those things. But friends, what I want you to hear this morning is that Christmas is evidence that God wants to bring his people home. And that God wants to give us back what's been stolen from our souls. Christmas is evidence that God wants to bring his people home. And he wants to restore, to give us back what's been stolen from our souls. Last week, we talk, two weeks ago, we talked about hope. We said God is the giver of hope. He, he can give us hope in a situation we're in, in a relationship. He can give us hope in a decision. But ultimately, our hope is in the fact that if we're in Christ, we live forever with him. And one day, Jesus is coming back. And it's not going to be as a baby this time. It's going to be as a mighty warrior king. And he, the hope is then he will make right what is so very broken in our world. Jesus is the giver of hope. He's also the giver of peace. We tend to think of peace as a, you know, an absence of conflict. So nothing's really terribly wrong right now, so I'm at peace. But the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it doesn't just mean an absence of conflict. When God uses shalom as a verb, it brings he is making you complete and he is restoring you to the person that he originally created you to be. Before the world beat you up, before sin and brokenness had an effect in your soul and in your life, that God is working for you to bring shalom, completeness, and restoration in your soul. Jesus is the giver of hope. He's the giver of peace. And he's the giver of joy. He's the giver of joy. And we're going to look at how God gives joy from Zephaniah this morning. Now, Zephaniah is not a book that you have ever even heard of. That's why God put the table of contents in your Bible, okay? So you can go look up old Zephaniah later. We started reading in Zephaniah 3. But to really understand the beauty of Zephaniah 3, I need to tell you the story of Zephaniah 1 and 2. So who was Zephaniah? He was a prophet for God. He spoke to the southern kingdom, the Israelites. He, he spoke the words of God. He warned, he encouraged, he built up. And the Israelites were God's people, right? We're God's people now. The Israelites were God's people then. They were literally geographically surrounded by, maybe you remember some of these guys from your history books, Assyrians, Babylonians, Moabites, maybe not remember those guys. They're surrounded by these cultures. And they had one job to do. God said, you're my people. I'm your God. These people are lost in darkness. I just want you to love me well enough that they can see that there's a one true God. Just one job. Be a light by the way you love me in the midst of utter darkness in this world. But here's the truth. They had a decision to make that we still have to make, which is that we are usually either leaning towards the world's way of doing life or we're leaning towards God's way. We want to believe there's a neutral, right? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I'm not knocking it out of the park, but I'm doing all right. There's really not a neutral, friends. We're either building our lives based on the way the world says to build it we're building it based on the way God says that he can 
build it. And the Israelites at this point have completely caved to the culture around them. Completely. In Zephaniah 1 and 2, this is what God says of his people. He says, they no longer trust in God. They no longer worship God. As a matter of fact, they worship Baal and the starry host, the the gods of the culture around them is who they've given their hearts to. They engage in violence and fraud. They're complacent. They're unbelieving. They trust in wealth to save them. They're proud. They don't accept correction. They do not draw near to God. Do you see any of our culture in that? Do you see any of you? In that, the Israelites had gone so far to absolutely succumb to the world around them to completely build their lives on that, that they had actually gone to the point of of performing child sacrifice. The temple of God, where God meets with his people, the holy place that God said, I will dwell with you, they were not just worshiping Yahweh God in that temple, they were worshiping other false gods in God's home. That's Zephaniah 1 and 2. And so Zephaniah says, God is going to utterly decimate you. You have taken your eyes off me. You have have released yourself from my protection and my control. And God is going to bring in an enemy. And this does happen. It's the Babylonians. And he is going to absolutely decimate Jerusalem. And they did. They came in and they tore down God's temple stone by stone. It was gone. They took the treasures of God's temple and they paraded them down the street saying, where is your God now? So with that backdrop, now hear God saying, but if you will turn your heart back to me, It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be genuine. But, God says in Zephaniah 3, if you will turn your heart back to me, I will bring you home. I'll bring you home. Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. But if you will turn your heart back to me, I will shout aloud. I will sing and I will bring you home. God doesn't stop there. It's even more beautiful. God wants to not only bring us home, but he wants to continue that beauty by giving us back what was stolen from our souls by this world. Listen to Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. The God of the universe delights in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you believe that God delights in you? I mean, 
maybe you believe God loves you because, well, he's God. It, I mean, doesn't he kind of have to do that? <laughs> you know, kind of has to love me. And maybe you believe God even likes you. But do you believe that God delights in you? One of my favorite authors, Vernon Manny, used to tell the story that he'd say, here's how you measure if, where your heart is with that. If, if, we, if Jesus was walking on the earth again today, and we all knew it, and we were here in this room as a crowd, and he walked in those doors, and the first person's eyes he met with were yours, what would his face do? I mean, would he know you? Or would he do like you do at the mall when you don't have time to talk to somebody and you kind of dodge and do that right now? Would he dodge you? Or would he, no, this is what he would do. This is what he would do. He would look at you. He'd lock eyes with you. And he'd do like you do when you see an old friend that you weren't expecting to see, someone that you love with all your heart, someone that's got your soul, and you'd just be like, ah! Like that. That's what Jesus would do. Can you get the picture? Because you're his child. He delights in you. Friends, the enemy of your soul wants to take your shortcomings and your brokenness and define you by them. Okay, now, so yes, we all have brokenness, and yes, we all have shortcomings, and what we should do is, is feel sorrowful about them. We should take them to God and ask him to make us more, to make us more whole, to restore us. That's good. But shame, shame is when we take our shortcomings and our brokenness and we allow them to define us, to make that who we are. And God is not about shame. Maybe you got a temper that you cannot keep check on. Maybe you're terrible with your finances and it's been your life story. Maybe you care so much what other people think that you can't even remember who you are anymore. Maybe you work yourself into the ground because as long as you're producing, you have value. Maybe you avoid conflict so much that you have no real connection with anyone. Maybe, maybe when you were young, someone spoke lies over you told you lies about who you are, lies about you, how you should be perceived, lies about what you would ever do, and you still carry those lies around as an adult. You still let them speak to you and, and speak into your soul, and they're heavy, and you feel like you just might give out at any moment. God says, do not let your brokenness define you. Bring it to me. Friends, we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And maybe you grew up in a family that you would categorize as low joy. Maybe you grew up in a family where you would categorize as no joy. And even when I say that, it hurts you. It brings you pain because the memories are going back through your mind. And so... I just want to say to you, you can always return to joy. If you came in here today and you barely got here, please hear me say, in Christ, you can always return to joy.
I want to tell you what that looked like in my life. I grew up in the church. I'd never, ever read the Bible. I did not actually know God. I had not given my heart to God. I, I just knew about him. And some people loved me really well when I was a freshman at Chapel Hill. And, and I made a commitment just to turn in my heart saying, I want to belong to you, God. And then this happened. I thought, well, I guess I should read the Bible. Up until that point, I thought, honestly, I thought reading the Bible was weird. I'd never seen anybody do it except the preacher. So I went out, snuck out, actually, and bought one because I didn't want anybody to know I was buying a Bible. That was kind of like over the top, right? And, and then somebody said, start in John. And, and so I started reading in the Gospel of John. It's just the story of John, I mean, the story of Jesus that his dear, dear friend John wrote. I started reading, and I still have that Bible. You should see the margins of it. It's like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I never knew that God saw me that. Wow, that's what a shepherd. God actually is guiding me. And what was happening was literally as I read the words of Scripture, I was growing in my ability to see things the way God sees them. See, that's why we have the Word of God, the gift of God and the Holy Spirit to guide us to see it, to understand it. Because I had grown up always seeing the world the way Holly saw it, the way I was told to see it, the way my family saw it. And suddenly as I'm reading in the pages of God's living Word, I'm, I'm, God's literally reshaping my mind and heart. I'm, I'm beginning to see you the way God sees you, and my family the way God sees and me the way, and the future and the purpose and seeing things the way God sees them. But it doesn't just stop there. God is in relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's beautiful and good. And he made us for that. If I'm trying to do this God thing by myself in my Bible, trust me, it's not going to last. I'm going to give out. And so he put people in your life that are on the same journey, and he says, will you trust them enough to be real? Will you let them see you're real? And will you let them speak God's perspective into your mess? Will you let them love you in spite of your mess? Will you let God's people in? Because God returns us to joy as we take our thinking and, and see the world and others through his eyes and through his people's eyes. Friends, joy is an attitude that God's people can grow in. You can grow in joy. Not because of your circumstances, not because everything's good and happy and perfect, but because of the hope of God's love and promises. On snow days, which you'll note we just had one, when does it snow in December in North Carolina? But we have snow days. And when snow day happens, worsleys throw up in their doors, and the neighbors come, and people that can walk there from church come, and we make soup, and my house is full of people, right? And gloves and dogs and snow and everything else. It's full of people. And Matt Glass and I were talking. We were sledding together that day. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, I can never get my nose warm in the snow. <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. 
I can put on as many layers as I want to in boots and gloves and scarves and hats, and my nose is still cold. He said, but if I drink something hot, I'm automatically warmed up. It just, that hot cocoa, right, it goes down, I'm, I'm warmed up. Friends, I am not talking about fake, Christian, cheesy, happy this morning. Do not leave here and think I'm talking about you going out and putting on some cheesy, Christian, happy. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about joy. See, fake happiness is, is stuff we put on the outside of us. We get happy when maybe we buy something new or we drink something we like or we eat something we like or we have a new experience. And, and that's not good. Those, I mean, those things are not bad, but they're not joy. We, we can put on as many of those as we want to put on, and we're still going to be a little bit cold in our soul. But when we truly take in Jesus, his word, and we let him reshape how we see the world, each other, our future, our purpose, our hope, and we let other people see our mess and our real and love us anyway, when we do that, that's joy. That's the lasting joy of Jesus. So here how Zephaniah ends with a, with a crying out to his people. Zephaniah 3.16, he says, On that day they will say to Jerusalem, to his people, us, do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. He says to them, if you know the Lord and you turn your heart back to him and he takes you home, then be strong in him. Friends, he would say to us today, be strong in the Lord. Be brave in the world because you, be brave in the Lord because you walk in a world that is broken and hurting. And he has given you a light, and that world desperately needs that light. Our story is the story of grace, friends. It can be your story if it's never been your story. The story of grace is that you go from failure to family. You go from being marked by your brokenness, and, and you are literally defined by your brokenness, to family. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. You are an heir to the God Almighty. An heir receives everything from their father. And so you have been given as his child protection, provision, wisdom, presence, power, counsel, love, community, real community, purpose. Here's the best one, belonging. You belong. When you come home to Christ, now you belong. Friends, if it's not your story, it can be this morning. It's as simple as a turn of your heart. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want you to lead my life, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I, but I want that. It's as simple as a turn in your heart. And if that's true of you already, hear Zephaniah's call to you. Be strong in the Lord. 
Be brave in the Lord and take that into a world of darkness and be his light there. Bring his joy there. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you took me in my life when I felt like I belonged nowhere and you made me belong to you. You brought me home. And I pray for any of my friends this morning in this room that are thinking, could this be real? Could that be really for me? Would God, yes, Lord, nudge their hearts and their souls and and whisper to their souls, I want to bring you home. Lord, we want to say that we thank you for hope and we thank you for peace And we thank you for joy. And we thank you for real love because those are our very deepest soul longings. And you came to give us those. Those things that we could not get ourselves. And we humbly thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.